Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm, of course, your host, Pastor Brad Gray. I serve as the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church right here in Paxanos, Pennsylvania. And today I get to present to you uh, a later weekly edition, <laughs> if you will, of the Ministry Minded Podcast. I'm coming to you uh, perhaps uh, later on Friday, or if you're listening to this on Saturday, happy Saturday, or whenever you're listening to this, maybe you're coming into this uh, late to the party, so to speak. Uh, welcome. Uh, I am so thrilled to uh, thrilled that you've joined, thrilled that you've tuned in. Uh, it's been quite a busy week uh, for me and also for all of the the folks, the church family at Stonington Baptist Church. We have been uh, in the in the midst of VBS um, uh, busyness. <laughs> the schedule this week has been absolutely crazy, but in the best way possible. This has been such a full week of ministry, and uh, I'm so excited to uh, just be a part of it. It's been a wonderful uh, joy to be able to put on a vacation Bible school for kids, to, for them to be able to hear about the power of Jesus, the power of God unto salvation has kind of been the theme that's been rattling around in my brain as we've been presenting the gospel to kids each night, and what a great opportunity that is. So, uh, our final night is tonight, Friday, uh, if you're listening to this on Friday. I just realized that it was Friday the 13th. I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> but Friday the 13th uh, of August, we're having our final night of VBS. Uh, if you're listening to this, uh, just pray that it went well. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that it's going to go well tonight. Uh, but I'm so excited for this just opportunity to be able to speak into kids' lives. And uh, so that's what I've been doing. That's kind of why I've been delayed in getting this episode out to you. Uh, but there's a lot that I wanted to talk about. And so I was making a point to <clears throat> use... Uh, kind of whatever free time I could to um, get this show put together and uh, allow you to be able to enjoy it and listen to it and hopefully benefit from it and be be blessed by it. So I hope that that's uh, what you find uh, in this particular show. So I'm glad you're tuned in. Uh, I won't delay the uh, the preliminaries any longer now, uh, any more than I already have. I've probably rambled too far. Um, but uh, I'm glad you're here, and hopefully you'll find some enjoyment in this show. So before we get there, let's just uh, take, hear a word from the sponsor, which of course is Fresh Roasted Coffee, and then uh, we'll get into the meat of the show. So here's our sponsor. Do you like coffee? 
I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. So I want to get right into it. Um, this past Sunday was uh, the 8th of August, and uh, we only had one service because we had Vacation Bible School, of course, starting up in the Sunday evening slot. So I was able to preach in the morning service on the first 18 verses of First Kings chapter 18. If you've been tuning in for a while, or if you've been following the blog, or following the sermon podcasts uh, for Stonington Baptist you likely know or are aware of the fact that I've been in the midst of uh, exp- uh, expositing, if you will, uh, the books of First and Second Kings. I can't believe that I'm already at chapter 18 uh, of First Kings, which it seems like it's flown by. Maybe for others who've been listening, it seems like it's been a long process. <laughs> but I'm really thankful for this opportunity to be able to preach from these books. And I may sound like a broken record, but I have found so much just thrill out of studying these historical books and being um, made aware of just how resonant and relevant they are. You know, I think sometimes the Old Testament books, especially the historical ones, get secluded into this sort of narratival shelf where we only go to them when we need to tell a story and we don't understand perhaps the overarching thrust of what these stories are even there for in the first place. And, you know, as I have really been reflecting, if you've read the blog, the blog, you you likely know that I'm I've been reading a lot of you know quote Christological Christological Old Testament books in the sense that I've read a couple of books and reviewed a couple of books that talk about Christ in the Old Testament, how he's the theme of Scripture and all that all that kind of stuff, and uh, I've been greatly influenced by those particular books, and they've been so influential with how I look at at Kings itself, and it's. I think so indicative of um, how we have kind of failed these books in the sense that we don't often go to them and see and, and ask the question, how does this show me Christ? We often go to the historical books, you know, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, the Chronicles. We go to them and ask what sort of lessons can we learn? What, what type of morals are these books um, showing or demonstrating? Or what kind of moral lessons are we allowed to learn from? And that to me is a shame. That's a that's a failure, I think, on a lot of exposition. Of course, there's moral lessons that we can learn from them. I'm not trying to discount that. But is that really and truly 
the most important thing from them, uh, I would <laughs> hasten and say no. Um, First Kings, as I've been studying it, is a profound book, which <laughs> it, it, I just keep coming back to this, this sentiment that it presents a world that's not that unlike our own. Yeah, there's different rituals, there's different customs, there's different cultures, um, but it doesn't present a world that's so otherworldly. It shows um, you a people who get frustrated, who get down on themselves, who get confused, who go through troubling circumstances and trying seasons, and they are met by life that comes to them in such a way that they aren't, are sometimes unable to cope or sometimes unable to handle whatever's in front of them. And I think that, to me, is the biggest thing I've taken away out of the series, that it shows us um, a people who aren't unlike us. They're very much human. They're very much uh, like you and I. Thousands of years later, yeah, but um, even despite the, the distance in time, at least timeline, there's not much distance in terms of what troubles us. And I think that that is so important when you come to the first 18 verses of First Kings 18, especially because if you know your Bible, you likely know that First Kings 18 is, of course, the famous chapter which records the even more famous encounter of the prophet Elijah with the prophets of Baal on the slopes of Mount Carmel, and how dramatic that scene is, um, which is interesting. Uh, there's an interesting juxtaposition then, which comes uh, out really starkly if you examine the first 18 verses, which kind of just talk about Elijah's return. It talks about this guy named Obadiah, who is not the Obadiah of the Minor Prophets, a different different Obadiah, who is a, quote, governor of Ahab's household. And then you, you it records this little story where Obadiah happens, quote unquote, he just so happens to run into Elijah, who reveals his plan to um, confront Ahab uh, to his face, basically. And so you have this interesting scene where there's, it, if you read it at first, there's not a lot that's going on. There's not a lot to um, to sort of, it, it just seems like a stopgap text. Like here's a transitionary period. Here's a, th here's a, a scene that helps move the plot forward, if you will. Um, but what I think there's a lot more that's going on here then at first meets the eye. And that's what I think was the thrust of my sermon, was just the fact that each of these little vignettes that were given, we have Elijah coming back into this, into the, into the, the land of promise, coming back into Samaria, uh, the capital now of Israel, and he's coming back in to confront Ahab with, he's being, he's being sent now on this mission from God. And then uh, I, I think, what I was aiming to show and what I think was able to come to the fore is just the fact that each of these little scenes that make up the first 18 verses of chapter 18 are really um, essentially uh, just giving us different portraits of what it means to be faithful. You have Elijah who follows God's command um, in, in the sense that he goes back to a place that he is a wanted man. Yeah, imagine, imagine again, Elijah going back to a place where everyone wants him dead and that Ahab really, all he wants is for Elijah to perhaps, you know, wave his hand and get rid of the famine that Israel has been enduring, as it says in verse one of chapter 18 now for eight, three years. So we're three years into a national famine and God calls Elijah back into the place where he is a wanted man. He's wanted dead or alive, if you will, uh, maybe even perhaps the latter. And 
Elijah does it. <laughs> he goes into the place where he's wa- where he's unwanted, where he's being hunted. And I think that that is an amazing lesson for us. And that was sort of the thrust of my point there is is that sometimes in 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 ages or in uh, certain moments of history that are critical, that are times of crisis, God calls us into difficult places, un- unwanted, unexpected places, and there we're summoned to follow Him, and 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 not because we are courageous or amazing in our own right, but there's this omnipotence that accompanies Elijah. There's that wonderful. Uh, promise that God gives him and where he says that he's going to make it rain uh, again on the earth, which is just a seemingly innocuous phrase. But I would say, and I would hasten to say that really what God is saying that, yeah, the, the sovereign God who controls all of nature, he's accompanying you as you go back into this unwanted and unexpected territory where you are a wanted man, where you are a guy who uh, is going basically to his death, if you look at it from a human perspective. And yet God says, that's where I want you to go. And so uh, we have this portrait of, of being a follower um, in our faith, but there's also a portrait of being uh, uh, one who sacrifices in faith, because there's this wonderful parenthetical in First Kings 18, where it talks about the man Obadiah, who, even though he's a steward, a governor of the house of Ahab, is actually, as it says there, he fears the Lord greatly. He is actually a follower of Yahweh, even in the midst of the court of Baal. You know, Ahab at this point has brought uh, Baal worship to the forefront of Israelite culture and life. And he has now, and and little does he know that he has perhaps a man who is high up in his court is actually a faithful disciple of Yahweh. And so Obadiah takes it upon himself to uh, put himself in jeopardy to, in order to um, allow some of the prophets of Yahweh who are being hunted by Jezebel safety. It talks about how he secludes them, safeguards them in a cave and feeds them bread and water in order to sustain them. And there's this wonderful image. Faith in times of crisis often looks like that, serving God where you are. Where has God put you? Uh, Maybe he hasn't put you in a place like Elijah, who is uh, very much a, a roaming prophet of the Lord. Maybe he has put you in a place of service in perhaps a secular or professional setting. And even there, we are called to be Obadiahs, sacrificing uh, ourselves for the good of God and the, the good of others and the glory of God. And I think that's a wonderful portrait. And then I think, uh, I'm just kind of running through what I preached about. You can listen to the whole sermon, perhaps it would be more effective for you. Um, it, it just so happens that Obadiah runs into Elijah um, uh, in the pathway, and he confesses, Obadiah does, this this great fear he has that if if he reveals that he has found, stumbled upon Elijah, that'll actually mean Obadiah's life because he has sworn under penalty of death, so to speak, to King Ahab that Elijah is nowhere to be found at this point. And so he's fearing for his life. And Elijah rightly stirs him back, stirs him back to faith, and and he calls him to hold fast to that profession that he has in Yahweh, that this Lord of hosts is more powerful than any monarch that might be 
making him fearful, making him uh, sort of tenuous and, and, and hesitant in his faith. And so we have that wonderful image of the faithful stirring other faithful to deeper, <laughs> deeper depths of faith, if you will. And I think that that's what we're called to do in times of crisis. And then, of course, the last lesson that I was drawing out of this particular text is a lesson about confronting or standing, because we have Ahab uh, coming eventually and meeting Elijah in the way, and then uh, Ahab makes this <laughs> interesting accusation that it is it is because of, of Elijah that all this trouble has come upon Israel, the famine and all these sorts of things. And he, he accuses Elijah of being the troublemaker, the disruptor, the one who is driving Israel into into. Craziness, and then Elijah, to his face, in 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 the face of one who wants him to be gone, <laughs> to be removed out of the way, Elijah says, "No, <laughs> I'm not the troublemaker. You are. You've turned away from God. You've scattered Israel's faith to all these other lesser gods. You are the troublemaker." He says, which is all to say that. All along, God's word is the only word that matters, and we are called to stand on that word and nothing else in times of crisis. That's what we are called to stake our lives on, and that is a challenging thing. Uh, not not trying to make that seem easy, um, but I think I, I, I have found these verses to be so impactful with giving us portraits of what it looks like when when all around you is being thrust into decay, into societal moral decadence, into this in, iniquitous and idolatrous realm, when all of that is is seemingly being thrust upon your life at every single turn, what does it look like to be faithful in that sort of life? Well, I think it looks like this. It looks about following God. It looks about um, sacrificing for God. It looks about stirring others into deeper depths of faith for God. And it means perhaps if if need be, if you're called to be standing for him in the gap, sort of in the way of evil and saying that there's a truer, better, greater God on my behalf and on yours who is sovereign over all. And his word is the word that matters, not whatever fearsome taunt or threat that comes from weaker, lesser monarchs. And I think that this this little passage is a wonderful, wonderful portrait of what it looks like to be faithful in crisis moments. And if you haven't guessed, um, I think we're in one right now. <laughs> I, I, I think what makes 1 Kings 18, 1 through 18 so resonant is that you can immediately, you can read it and you can say, this is what's necessary in 2021, in August, September, all the months of 2021, and even in the years and months ahead. Um, we need this type of faith, and it comes from being word-centered. I think one of the things that I have found to be so, so important, so vital, so crucial, um, is 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 that being centered, rooted, grounded on the Word of God and nothing else, um, in not allowing ourselves to be caught up with so many other things, with so many other um, allegiances or or affections or affinities. It's being centered on the Word. That's the only Word that matters. Nothing else holds a candle to the sovereignty of God's Word. That That's what 
I think comes to the fore in this particular text, but I think all throughout First Kings, the historian is showing us what is truly sovereign and superior, and it's the Word of God. And what a wonder it is now that we can say that the Word of God has met us. <laughs> the Word of God has become incarnate for us. That's what makes the opening of John so remarkable and transcendent, where it says the Word was with God and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What an amazing truth, that the Word that's sovereign and superior and glorious and majestic and powerful and almighty, that same Word became incarnate for us in the person of Jesus. Whew, I just think about that. Because this is what this particular text, is, I think, is leading us into, um, is leading us to reflect on all that that means. <laughs> it, 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 it's causing us to think about that very thing, that, yeah, um, we are called to reflect on the sovereignty of the word that is among us. And that transitioned me quite well into what has been helpful lately. And I'll, I'll make the connection point in a minute, um, because thinking about the word, the word that is so important, that has, that ought to drive all of our lives, um, I've been thinking a lot about a particular piece of Christian content that has been amazingly helpful. And I'll get into all the specifics of, you know, perhaps my qualms, my uh, caveats with making this endorsement, but uh, funnily enough, one of the most helpful things that has really just il not illuminated, that's too strong of a word, but has shown a very bright light on, I think, what is necessary about understanding the scriptures and understanding them in a way that uh, helps you read them, I think, in a new way. Um, is the show that you may or may not have heard of, but it's called The Chosen. Um, <laughs> I think I've had some people ask me what I've thought about The Chosen and what do you think about the show, and it kind of gets you into troubled waters. The Chosen is, of course, a show that is um, written and directed by Dallas Jenkins, who is the son, by the way, of Jerry B. Jenkins of Left Behind fame. Um, but he is... Uh, a creator, a showrunner of a show that basically is attempting to depict the life of Jesus um, as presented in the Gospels and do it in a faithful, but I think even more than that, and this is not in any way meant to be demeaning, but it's meant to also be in a quality way. If you've grown up in church or grown up around the church or grown up in Christian circles, you likely know that... Um, <laughs> that Christian media isn't always the best. <laughs> There's like a sad irony in the fact that most of the time Christian media is subpar. Um, just in, it, and maybe that's funding, maybe that's talent, maybe that's, I don't know, maybe it's just a lack of being concerned about excellence. I don't know what that is, but I don't think it's too stretch. It is not much of a stretch of the imagination to say that sometimes Christian media can be, um, definitely on a lower rung when it comes to other other media outlets, which is what makes the chosen different because they are not they're, they're doing everything at cost, so to speak. They're they're crowdfunding this show, and and basically um, they're making it in such a way that they're attempting to do it 
uh, with faithfulness and with quality. Um, I never thought that I would say that I have, that I enjoy the show. Uh, at first, when the phenomenon, if you will, of The Chosen was coming to the fore, um, I was really dismissive of it. I, w- I considered it something that's just going to pass. And I actually even did some investigating, and I was dismissive of it only because also The, the Chosen is not inherently, uh, you could say, orthodox. Um, it- it's pulling... Um, funding and resources and writing helps from other denominations and not just other denominations, I would say other faiths, um, Seventh-day Adventist, Mormons, Catholics, and evangelical Christians are coming together to, uh, craft this particular show, which makes me tenuous. And I would say still does make me tenuous in terms of its longevity and how they're going to present moments where they do need to be more orthodox as opposed to being or presenting some sort of universal image of Jesus. Um, and so I guess I would say is the chosen has been extremely helpful only in the sense that it presents to us a God who makes himself like us in order to redeem us. And let me pause on that. Um, I think more than anything else, that what has helped me, shaped me over the last several years is just realizing the humanness that's on display in the scriptures. And of course, yeah, that can be overplayed in a lot of times, but uh, I've talked a lot about this, that with with friends, with family members uh, talking about this particular show, is that sometimes, at least growing up, in my experience, the disciples especially, were they weren't men. They weren't human guys who were struggling with things. They were more like spiritual archetypes. They were just sort of amorphous, uh, sort of not really pinned-downed, caricatures of real people. They weren't actually real people. And I think that that's, maybe that's a a failure on my part to understand the scriptures or to fully just pause in the scriptures when you're reading it. But I think what has so helped me over the last several years is just this renewed, (laughs) I would say, appreciation for the fact that the people you read about in the Bible, um, they're real people. Uh, They have, they have confusion. (laughs) They have good days. They have bad days. They have bad hair days. They have good hair days. They struggle with anxiety. They they struggle with doubt. They struggle with uh, where they're going to get their next meal. They struggle with where they're going to go to the bathroom. They struggle with um, (laughs) all of the things that come into uh, being a first century human. And I think what this show does well is present that. What The Chosen does so extremely well is show what it might have looked like. And again, the chosen is not verbatim, but it sho- it does what it does do well is it shows us what it might have looked like if you grew up going to synagogue, hearing about this Old Testament guy who is is being called a messiah who's going to come and in your mind he's coming to overthrow your oppressors. If you are a first century Jew, that's likely how you were taught in, you know, proverbial Sunday school, that this guy named the Messiah is is going to come. He's going to be the son of man, the ancient of days, as Daniel calls him. And he's going to come and he's going to overthrow your oppressor, which at that time was Rome. And so now you have this, you've been taught all that. And there's this guy who comes and he starts doing things and making claims 
that he is the son of man, except that he's not amassing an army, he's not being violent or vindictive, he's not uh, sort of positioning himself in any sort of political or societal way in terms of making a play on the throne. He's actually calling some very lowly people, very outcast people, social pariahs to be his closest friends. And he's just preaching. He's going around healing people, evidencing his divinity, and then he's preaching people this message of forgiveness, this message of you need someone to stand in your place as opposed to you need to do all of these things in the right orthodox way. And so I think that what The Chosen does is it, is it shows us that. It shows us the the human perspective of what it might look like for a first century Jew to encounter someone who is claiming to be the Messiah and the fallout of that and what that would do to a neighborhood, what that would do to people who have jobs, who have families, who have lives that they have to provide for. Um, I, it, the Chosen does this so well. I, I can recommend that you watch The Chosen. Um, it's a show that does a lot of things well. I, I'm going to have an essay published hopefully next week where I kind of reflect more on this and similar themes that derive from the show. I, I'll ex try and explain more some of my questions or I would say concerns S sounds too harsh, but yeah, I do have some concerns about the show and I do have some things that I'm watching for to uh, that I'm watching cautiously, but I'm cautiously optimistic about the show that has done so far uh, things very well. They've been very <laughs> liberal, and I don't mean that in the political sense. But they, they've been very so. I'll I'll change the word. They haven't been liberal. They've been um more free, I guess you would say, with their artistic license, and I think that that's okay. Um, I think what is important about if anyone is listening and you're a fan of the chosen. Follow up the chosen by reading the word. This, again, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier. We are grounded and rooted in scripture and nothing else. That is our basis. That is our line of demarcation, if you will. That's our line in the sand. That is the Bible. Um, I think what the chosen can do is, is provide some helpful hints on how to read the Bible well, but don't make the chosen your Bible. If you come away from this show knowing anything or thinking anything at all, make it be that. Don't let the Bible or, or don't let the chosen replace the Bible in your life because it can't. It was never meant to. Um, it's 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 there to perhaps give you a different image or a different view of of Jesus who who is the 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 God in the flesh um but it's not it, it was never meant to replace scripture for you and so again don't 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 let it uh don't don't let it become something that it's not um and i, I guess that would be my fear too is that that if people folks are watching the chosen without any sort of follow up um without any sort of additional, if you will, if I can use this term, discipleship, in terms of, of following it up with a really scripture-based conversation or or uh, dialogue in terms of, of what it really looks like or means um, when it when Jesus says this or does this or the apostles say this or, or does this. Um, but I think uh, what I love is it just gives us this amazing image of the God who made himself like us in order to redeem us. 
and I I don't think that there's it's it's hard to we we can't we can't gloss over that. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 are the verses that come to mind that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, yet he 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 made himself like this. He humbles himself like us. That's what this show I think presents in a in a, in a striking way. If you haven't, I would recommend trying it out. Um, it may not be for everyone, and that's okay. And if you have your issues with the show, feel free to email me. I would love to hear from him. Um, but uh, I, I, I think if you go into it with a proper mindset, uh, I think you can find a lot of enjoyment and benefit out of The Chosen. And you can be um, encouraged in your faith. Not because you're seeing something that's scriptural, uh, but you're seeing something that Maybe, yeah, it aids your scriptural investigation um, and it allows you and it encourages you and inspires you to do more, um, uh, more investigation and study on what the text of scripture says. But again, I think the, the most important thing I could say is, number one, don't let the chosen replace your scriptures, but also let the chosen show you a God who, 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 who humbled himself to being in the form of a servant. And I think that theme comes about in two articles that I want to share with you um, that I think play to this theme so, so well. Um, just, okay, so just keep in your mind's eye this the, the Philippians 2, 5 through 8, the God who becomes like us in order to redeem us. He he humbles himself to the form of a servant, even to the point of of death on a cross, and there was two articles that I've I've come across. One was a, from a little bit ago, and, and one was a little bit more recent. But over on Mockingbird, which is of course um, a, a great website that I'm thankful that I'm able to contribute to, um, there was an article entitled "Quote the Saving Triune God at the River Jordan," uh, which was written by Kenneth Tanner, and he writes about just that moment of Jesus's baptism, which I think if you if you want to pinpoint a moment where we see Philippians 2, 5 through 8 coming to fruition, <laughs> that he's humbling himself uh, to the point of death, humbling, him, humbling him, Jesus humbling himself in the form of a servant, this is that moment. And Kenneth, I think, draws this out in a really striking way in this first article. Kenneth writes, quote, this is not a God who remains on the banks of the river, uninvolved and aloof from the pain of existence, but one who joins us in our predicament, participates without sin in the deaths we each of us bear about in our bodies, especially in the moment of our deaths, all the preparatory ones and the last and final one, and he is baptized for us and with us. Unlike the other gods we project and handcraft and make wishes for, this God is a baptized God. He identifies with us so that he might identify us with him. He also rises out of the waters. He does not stay in the grave. As he comes up out of the chaos and darkness of the flood, he grasps the wrists the wrists, excuse me, of Adam and Eve, rescuing humanity from the fathoms. There, the baptism of the human God identifies Jesus with sinful humanity, thereby drawing humanity into love's triune fellowship. And this is why I trust that the Father is pleased with the Son, as he always is. End quote. I love this article. 
It's linked below. You need to read it. It's a great reflection on the baptism of Jesus and how it shows us, again, that wonderful image of a God who doesn't remain on the banks of the river. He gets into the water with us. And this is made all the more apparent in this other article I wanted to share with you. When I was reading both of these, I couldn't help but think, uh, especially as it was sort of backdropped by my recent viewing of The Chosen, of this God who gets into the water with us to deal with us, to deal with our sin, to deal with stupid, sinful humanity. But the second article, it was written by Fred Sanders, entitled, Jesus Was Also Baptized. And he's writing about the same thing, that this idea of Jesus sort of coming in um, solidarity, if you will, with sinners. And this is a moment that is so gloriously revealed at his baptism. So Fred writes this, quote, Jesus joins the crowd of sinners the Son of God got in the water with us. This is an almighty act of solidarity with sinners. Everything up to now has been Jesus' private life, but when he goes to the big rally of the most important religious event going on in recent memory in Israel and takes his visible position among the sinners, he is beginning his public ministry. And the first step he takes in that public ministry is a step of solidarity, of identifying himself with the problems of his people. Everybody's got a million problems, but Jesus saw right to the heart of the main problem, were sinners. John's powerful preaching brought out the crowds, brought them to confess their sins and their need for forgiveness. Jesus saw that and recognized that the time had come to put into action the work he had come to do, to meet us where we are in our sins, in our need for forgiveness, in the water. It's a very dramatic opening move for the work of the Messiah. You might say he made a big splash. Jesus got in the water with us, Fred continues. He came down to join us in our sorry situation. Sorry sinners, sorry for their sins in the Son of God. What we're seeing here is the one who himself, who in himself is perfectly holy, absolutely well-pleasing to the Father, stepping into a relationship that sinners who are not holy and are not well-pleasing to God exist in. He mingled with the multitude of sinners, one commentator says. That commentator goes on to say, He who thus proclaims himself a sinner and voluntarily presents himself to receive the baptism of penance is the second person of the Holy Trinity, before whom the angels veil their faces, singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. Now this is the whole reason the Son of God took on human nature and dwelt among us to make our problems his problems, and to solve them for us in himself. <laughs> These two articles, and that's the end of Fred's quote, are just amazing to me. It makes me want to shout glory, hallelujah, the God of all got into the water with us. Just pause and think about that. We go into the waters of baptism, and we are, by faith, made clean. He goes into the waters of baptism, and he comes up identifying himself with our sins, showing us, yes, that he has come to stand in solidarity with sinners, not affirming them in their sin, but taking them out of it by the assuming their sin on himself. What a moment. This is the God-man. And it leads me to the last thing I want to leave you with this morning, or this afternoon, whenever you're listening. There's nothing that God won't do in order to rescue his own. 
even if that means he has to come and become like them in order to die for them. He is the God-man. He is the God who has been made flesh. He is the one who has humbled himself to the obedience of the cross. And I would say even, yes, the obedience of baptism. And he shows up identifying himself with with sinners so that we might be identified as the sons and daughters of God. This is an amazing reflection that I think we ought to rightly pause on and be reminded of in all of our days and weeks to come, that we have a God who was made like us in order to redeem us from ourselves, to save us from ourselves. We have a God who got in the water with us, and that God is the Word made flesh. Stake your hopes, your dreams, stake your life Stake your faith on this word, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you've been blessed by this episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast. Uh, If you haven't yet, subscribe. Uh, You can do so over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I so appreciate all of your encouragement and support. If you want to leave a tip, for the show, you can do that on Anchor. Uh, go to anchor.fm slash ministryminded, uh, and you can find out how to support the show in uh, other means, other ways. You can, of course, always go to Fresh Roasted Coffee uh, using the links below, and use the offer code, and uh, you can support the show that way. But thanks so much for your prayers. If that's the main thing I am, am seeking. Just continue praying for me as I minister, as I hope to make this show, continuing to make this show, a ministry resource for those who are seeking to engage uh, with with, uh, the ministry of the word. And I pray that uh, you will be able to do that. So God bless you. Uh, Thanks for listening. Uh, Share, uh, like, comment, subscribe, all those awesome things that are, of course, the usual for (laughs) digital uh, ministry, if you will. But I'll see you on the next episode. May God bless you. Blessings.